You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, a weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 15. Hi there, everyone. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I am your host, Chris Lester, scientist by day, writer by night, and podcaster on the weekends. Every week, I aim to write for at least six hours and then share with you the stories that I've been creating. So what are we waiting for? Let's get to the fiction. Today I'm bringing you the final installment of The Cuckoo, a novella in my urban fantasy world of Metamore City. To hear the first three parts of this story, go back to episodes 12, 13, and 14. When we last left our protagonist, John, an incubus working as a missionary priest for the Church of Hedonism, things seemed to be going well for him on his latest mission. He had been instructed to seduce the Baronessa Delilah Velasco de Moraine, a wealthy heiress to a powerful Tornish noble house. Delilah had recently married into House Moraine, a Metamorian noble house, but her marriage was designed only to advance the political agendas of her father and her new husband, Vincent, who is as ambitious as he is asexual. Delilah was lonely, isolated, and sexually frustrated, seemingly a vulnerable target for an incubus's charms. John was instructed to convert her to the Church of Hedonism and persuade her to let him impregnate her. John's child would be an incubus or succubus, but would grow up seeming human. Like a cuckoo which plants its eggs in another bird's nest, John would put his child in the position to become a powerful ally for the Church. Everything seemed to be going beautifully— Vincent had granted his blessing for Delilah to be seen in public with her new dance instructor. The maid, Isabel, had been converted to John's cause, while the suspicious butler, Gerhard, had been successfully distracted and sidelined. All was looking well for John's mission, except for one small problem. John, to his own complete astonishment, had fallen helplessly in love with Delilah. And now, the conclusion. The Cuckoo by Chris Lester Part 4 It was a beautiful Wednesday afternoon in early July when I came to the penthouse and found it strangely quiet. The guards at the front desk had waved me through right away, but no one greeted me as I stepped out of the lift. I was expecting a warmer reception. The Baron was in Salonon for the next week for a business conference, and Gerhard had asked for the time off to visit his relatives in Breckland. Delilah, Isabel, and I were supposed to have the next five days and nights together— with no sneaking around required. We'd been looking forward to it for weeks. "'Delilah?' I called, looking around. "'Isabel?' No response. Well, maybe they were in the master suite and couldn't hear me. I headed in that direction, ears attuned for the sound of two women sharing each other's bodies. They weren't in the master suite, nor were they in the exercise room, nor in Isabel's quarters.' 
What in the nine hells is going on here? I muttered. I headed back to the entry hall, raising my voice again. Delilah? The mistress is not here, Mr. Vance. The voice came from the empty room in front of me. She had the most urgent summons to the other end of town. It was somewhere close. There, in front of the fireplace. Son of a bitch, I whispered. The veil dropped, and I saw Gerhard standing there with a ten-millimeter pistol in his hand. Beside him sat Isabel, gagged and bound to a kitchen chair. I'd walked right past them, and I hadn't heard, seen, or smelled anything. That's a pretty good illusion there, Gerhard, I said, spreading my hands in front of me to show that I wasn't going to try anything stupid. Er. Meanwhile, I started calling up my aura, as slowly as possible. If I could keep him talking long enough, I might be able to scrape together enough magic to get out of here alive. Does the Baron know you're packing that kind of wizardry? Of course he does, Gerhard spat. You think he has kept me all these years just to consult him on vines and fashions? He pointed the gun at my chest. I am his chief of security, Mr. Vance, and you have made this place very insecure. Isabel struggled and tried to yell something at Gerhard through the sock in her mouth. Isabel seems to disagree with you, Gerhard, I observed. The ASMR sneered, his blue eyes glowing. Yeah, you have done a most thorough job of brainwashing her. Did you think I was an idiot, that I would not notice that my mistress and the servant had sunk to this perversion? He stepped a few paces closer, his eyes cold and his aim steady. Did you think that I would not realize you were responsible, Incubus? I swallowed back the lump in my throat. In the interest of fairness, I said, my voice quavering a little, I should point out that Lady Moraine has not joined the Church of Hedonism, nor have I made any attempt to persuade her to do so. I let out a nervous chuckle. (laughs) Actually, I think she's had more of an influence on me than I've had on her. I've been having second thoughts about my choice of profession. Silence! Gerhard's finger tightened around the trigger. I shut up. You are trying to appeal to my instincts, he said in disgust. That part of me that says that everyone can change, everyone deserves a second chance. His eyes narrowed. But that is a lie. Your kind do not deserve second chances. You are a demon through and through. Do not ask me to believe in your better nature. You do not have one. A bead of sweat trickled down my forehead. I was running out of time here and fast. I ran a quick estimate of just how much power I would need to make my escape. Just a few more seconds. You may be right, I admitted. He didn't immediately scream for silence again, so I kept talking. I've been living close to Delilah for the last six months, trying to figure out how she does what she does. How she can keep giving and giving, and somehow she ends up with more than when she started. I shrugged weakly. And I don't get it. Everything in me tells me to take, take, take. To grab what I can get for myself and enjoy it for as long as it lasts. And maybe you're right. Maybe that's just my nature and nothing I can do can change that. I smiled sadly. But as long as she would let me be near her, I knew I had to try. 
because she made me aware of an emptiness inside me that I never knew was there. I turned my palms upward in a supplicating gesture. Can you blame me for that? Can you blame me for trying to be more human? A soft chime sounded from the lift. Gerhard smiled tightly. No, Mr. Vance, I do not blame you for what you are. Any more than I blame a mosquito, or a tapeworm, or a louse. The lift doors opened and half a dozen men and women stepped out, clad in glistening white combat fatigues. You cannot blame a parasite for its nature, Mr. Vance. You can only destroy it before it has the chance to breed. My eyes fell on the soldiers in the twin cross on their uniforms. Damn it, Gerhard had been stalling me. There was no more time to think. I tapped into the power I'd gathered and called forth a cloud of darkness, hiding myself from view as I tried to make a break for it. I headed for the kitchen. There were windows there. I could grow out my wings and fly away. A shaft of brilliant blue light cut through my shadow spell, throwing the room into harsh relief. Two shots rang out, fire stabbed through my right leg, and I fell to the floor, unable to stand. Rough hands grabbed me and turned me over. One of the soldiers, a tall man with pale hair and burning blue eyes, strode toward me with a longsword in his hand. The blade was giving off the light that burned through my darkness, and it hummed with malevolence as he brought it closer to me. Elvin's sigils burned red in the blood channels of the serpentine blade. I could feel the cold, hungry aura of the sword, could almost hear it calling for my blood. The metal itself made me feel ill just from being close to it. Mithril. Holy shit, this was that sword. Alemisil, the star sword, the demon slayer. Which meant that this was... Janus, Gerhard said. So glad you couldn't make it. I was afraid you might be too late. Not to worry, uncle, Janus said, keeping his eyes fixed on me. We just took a few minutes to secure the perimeter. I wouldn't have wanted him escaping out the back. Well, shit. So much for my brilliant plan. It was a little late to come up with anything else, though, given the excruciating pain shooting through my leg. Janus gestured and muttered something in old tongue. My darkness spell vanished, and the sword settled down into a softer glow. We don't have much time, Gerhard said, his tone low and urgent. The neighbors are going to notice. If the reporters find out that there was an incubus here, it will destroy the reputations of both my master and my mistress. Janus grimaced. I'm not sure that we can keep this under wraps, uncle. We have to admit that he's a Daedra or we don't have any jurisdiction to take him. It isn't going to take long for people to figure out what sort of Daedra he is. Gerhard came forward and put a hand on Janus's elbow. What if there was nothing when you came here? He looked down at me, his eyes strangely distant. He was creepy as hell. What if he had just disappeared? Janus looked at me speculatively. Banishing a Daedra as strong as this one is going to take more time than we have. He'll heal from that bullet wound before I'm even finished setting the circle. He could resist me for hours before I push him through. Gerhard glanced down significantly at the sword. 
And what if he has a more significant injury? Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, I gasped. You cut me with that thing and <clears throat> throw me into the dreamlands? It's going to be like blood in the water. There are things there, things that... Oh, fuck. I groaned as fresh pain stabbed through me. Damn it, I'd be eaten alive. Perhaps, Janus admitted, though it didn't sound like the idea bothered him all that much. Perhaps not. Your side might find you first, after all. In any case, the Dreamlands are outside our jurisdiction. What happens to you there is no concern of mine. You bastard, I hissed. Janus raised an eyebrow. An ironic choice of words, given your own parentage. So this is what passes for Lothanasi justice? Summary execution for something I didn't even do? You deny having an affair with the Baron's wife and encouraging her servant to do the same? If I'd been able, I would have laughed. <laughs> no, you fucking stooge. Of course I did. But I didn't brainwash him and I didn't get him pregnant. The Lightbringer smiled sardonically. Ah, and that makes it all right, does it? Makes it no worse than most of the nobles in this city. A lot better than some. I pointed a shaking finger at him. You're gonna start killing them when they don't live up to your fucking moral standards? A shadow passed over Janus's face. He lowered his sword slightly. I will admit your case is borderline. Under other circumstances, I might be persuaded to overlook it but do not confuse my capacity for mercy with my obligation to justice. Behind Janus and Gerhard, the lift chimed softly again. They didn't seem to notice. Janus shook his head. Lady Moraine is doing too much good in the world for me to stand by and let a scandal like this destroy her. Whatever her indiscretions, I will not be party to her downfall because I spared the life of one Daedra. The lift doors opened, and my lady... My blessed, beautiful lady stepped into the room with her eyes blazing. Literally. Unhand that man, she commanded, pointing at me. Gerhard gaped in astonishment. Janus only paused a moment to compose his features before turning halfway toward Delilah. Lady Moraine, please stay back. This creature is a dangerous... I said release him! Several things happened at once. Brilliant light shot out from Delilah in all directions, filling the room with the intensity of a flashbulb. The men holding me let go and stumbled backward, shielding their eyes. The bonds that held Isabel fell to the floor on their own. Gerhard fell to one knee as his legs suddenly gave way, the gun falling from limp fingers. The only person who seemed unaffected by the display was Janus, who stood up straight and calmly let the light wash over him. The aura around the sword turned crimson in response to the power coming off of her. As for me, I felt that aura wrap around me, protecting me, filling me with strength. I knew, instinctively, that her power would shield me from harm as long as I didn't try to harm anyone else. A sanctuary spell. Powerful stuff. I looked past her and saw the same spell protecting Isabel. It should have hurt my eyes to look at Delilah but it didn't. She was glorious. The beauty she'd always had now became something transcendent, 
a flawless vision of perfection that glowed with the light from inside her. And while I might have been hallucinating from the pain, I could have sworn that I could see a glowing pair of beautiful, feathery wings. Delilah herself seemed as surprised as the rest of us. She blinked, shaking herself, then stared at her hands in wonder. The light faded slowly, lingering around her body in a shimmering aura. After a moment, she looked back up and set her jaw in determination. She strode past Janus, who made no move to stop her, and came up to me. She looked down at my injured leg and winced in sympathy. Can you heal it? she asked. Eventually, I managed, struggling to remember how to speak. I'm running low at the moment, though. She smiled. Let me help you with that, she said. Then she took my head in her hands and kissed me. Her passion gave me access to draw on her life force, and my body took what it needed in order to heal itself. She had more than enough to spare. The pain in my leg lessened, then ceased. As we parted, she placed a hand tenderly against my chest, as if to say, Let me handle this. I was more than happy to let her. She turned to face Janus, who had watched the whole thing with a calm, neutral expression. The guy had a hell of a poker face, I had to give him that. Agent Starson, this man is under my protection. Take your people and go. Janus bowed his head in a show of respect, but he didn't back down. Lady Moraine, this man is an incubus working for the cult of Suspira. Of course he is, Delilah said. Janus opened his mouth to speak, then closed it again, suddenly thrown off his script. Both Isabel and I stared at Our Lady, wide-eyed. Even when Isabel had converted, we'd always maintained the pretense that I was a human member of the church. Delilah had known? Do you take me for a fool, Agent Starson? she asked. I have known what John is for months now. He raised an eyebrow. And yet you continue to employ him. Forgive me, Baroness, but are you certain that your opinions on this matter are your own? She laughed derisively, waving a hand at the field of protective magic that still surrounded me. Do you honestly believe that he could bewitch me? He frowned at me thoughtfully. Perhaps not, he admitted. His eyes shifted back to her. Why continue to employ him if you knew the liability he represented? Delilah shrugged and spread her hands. Because he is greatly knowledgeable about many things that I needed to know. Because I had hoped to learn how to make my husband desire me. Because he is a clever and charming man whose company I enjoy. She put her hands on her hips. And because he was the first man in many years to value me as a woman and not for my name. Janus locked eyes with her for a moment longer, then slid his sword back into its sheath. Don't take his words and actions at face value, Baroness. Even if you yourself are immune to his manipulations, he will use your connections to serve his own interests. Selfishness is at the core of his nature. He can't be anything else. Perhaps, Delilah agreed. Perhaps not. There are many who would say the same is true of humans. But what does it matter? I love him. She ran her hand fondly through my hair. If I give, and he receives, and both of us are fulfilled by it, then perhaps that is enough. 
Gerhard made a choking sound. He kept his eyes on the floor, but he reached out to Delilah in supplication. Mistress, please, my poor master, he will be humiliated. I will not forget my lord husband, Gerhard, Delilah said, her irritation obvious. But every moment your nephew and his warriors remain here, the baron's reputation remains in jeopardy. Agent Starson, I must ask you to leave immediately. Do not make me charge you with trespassing. Janus frowned, but he bowed anyway. As you wish, Baroness. He gestured to his troops. As they filed into the lift car, his eyes fell on me. Do not abuse the lady's hospitality, Daedra, or you'll wish I had banished you. We'll be watching. He touched Gerhard briefly on the shoulder, then turned and left. I let out a breath I hadn't realized I'd been holding. Isabel rushed up and embraced Delilah, clutching at her and sobbing. Mistress! Oh, madame! Delilah shushed her, kissing her forehead and holding her close. I rose carefully to my feet and snatched up Gerhard's gun. Let's not give him the chance to get any more bright ideas, I said. The gun was too large to sit comfortably at the small of my back, so I put it on a shelf as far from Gerhard as possible. Delilah turned to face the butler, her expression stern. Pack your things, Gerhard. He looked up in shock, his tear-streaked face a mask of horror. Mistress, I am the Baron's sworn servant. You cannot fire me without his saying so. Do not tempt me, she snapped. You have lied to me. You have hurt John and Isabel, endangered all of us because of your obsession. She closed her eyes and took a deep breath. And yet, you have done all of this because you believed you were protecting your master. I cannot fault your loyalty, but I cannot trust you here, either. She gestured curtly for him to rise. I am sending you to my villa in Thorn. It has fallen into some disrepair, and the staff needs a good administrator. I am certain you will have everything running smoothly by the time we come down for the winter. He bowed his head and nodded. Yes, my mistress commands. He headed for his room in the servant's wing. Gerhard, Delilah called after him. He stopped and looked back. Yeah, mistress? She gazed at him levelly. Go behind my back again, for any reason, and my lord husband will find out that you have taken part in certain financial indiscretions with our accounts. The man sputtered indignantly. Mistress, I have done no such thing. A slow, wolfish smile spread across her face. Are you quite sure about that? Gerhard's cheeks lost what little color they had. He turned and almost ran out of the room. While the butler packed, Delilah, Isabel, and I went to the master suite, where Isabel poured drinks to help settle our nerves. We sat on the bed together with drinks in hand, Isabel on Delilah's right and I on her left. How did you know I was in trouble? I asked Delilah. Gerhard said you were called away on an urgent matter of some kind. Delilah smiled dryly. I have been expecting trouble from Gerhard for some time now. When he called the Lothanasi, one of my men at the security desk warned me, and I came back right away. 
She grimaced. I was almost too late. I am sorry. Don't worry about it, I said, patting her leg. I'm here, and I'm alive. That's good enough for me. Madame? Isabel asked, her voice soft and uncertain. When you came to rescue us, what was that light around you? She looked down at the marks on her wrists where Gerhard had bound her. The ropes, say. She shook her head in wonder. I don't know, Delilah admitted, though she looked utterly at peace about it. There are stories about my family, but I have never known how much to believe them. Does it really matter? I am still the same person I was before. That's true, I said, quietly. But somehow, I can't help feeling you're more of that person than you used to be. I reached up and caressed her cheek. Don't be afraid to explore it. Be that which thou art. It was an old universalist proverb, and she smiled, obviously recognizing the reference. And what about you, John? she asked. An incubus who risked everything for love? Is that being what thou art? I chuckled ruefully. <laughs> Maybe not. But I helped get you closer to your true nature, and it's helped a lot of people as a result. If that costs me another turn on the cosmic merry-go-round, I'm okay with that. I winked. I can always get back to being a self-serving bastard in my next incarnation. We all laughed at that. The laughter turned to foreplay, and foreplay turned to urgent caresses and the shedding of clothes. Do me one favor, John, Delilah said, as she slipped my shirt off my shoulders. Name it, I said. She reached down and touched my birth control amulet. Take this off. I drew back and stared at her. I finally managed to ask, Why? A bittersweet smile touched her lips. When this week is over, you will have to leave us. Your temper will not let you stay here, now that the Lightbringers have taken an interest. Janus would keep watching until he found a reason to banish you, or until the truth came out and destroyed all of us. She traced a hand over her belly. You were sent here to give me a child. So do it. You will go home successful and I will have someone to remember you by. Isabel came up beside her and put a hand on my arm. And so will I, she said. I blinked back tears, scarcely believing what I was hearing. I'd never heard of a woman consciously choosing to be impregnated by an incubus unless she was already a disciple of hedonism. The idea that they would want to bear my children out of love for me. I, um... "'What about Vincent?' I asked. "'If you two both get pregnant—' They shared a knowing grin. "'Don't worry about Vincent,' Delilah said. "'You remember when you told me that some people are just asexual? "'Well, I have a wizard who has been working on that problem.' Isabel leaned her head on Delilah's shoulder and fondled one of her breasts. "'When the master returns, I will put the potion in his drink.' He will finally be able to feel passion. At which point, Delilah said, Isabel and I will help him to understand what he has been missing while he wasted his life on politics. Well, what could I say to a proposition like that? 
They offered me the chance to satisfy my most primal instinct, and did it in a way that would cover all our asses. I couldn't understand the kind of love that motivated Delilah, but I don't think you have to understand love to be able to accept it. As for Isabel, maybe she did it for love, or maybe she just did it to get closer to her true nature. She might have stopped going to church, but I think she still believed in the hedonist message. Either way, we were glad to have her there. So, I gave them what they asked for. And now, here I was, five days later, holding Delilah in my arms on our last night together. Tomorrow I would go back to the temple, where Jasmine would congratulate me on a job well done. Maybe she'd have a new assignment picked out for me, or maybe I'd get some time off. Before long, I'd be back to the old game, seduction and infiltration, planting my little cuckoos in a hundred nests, doing my part to spread the word of Suspira. But this one, this one was going to stay with me. Oh, yes. For the first time, and maybe the last, I'd been touched by the hand of true love. And let me tell you, the bitch knows how to leave a mark. In the months that followed, I did some digging into House Velasco's family tree, just for my own personal edification. It turns out that, in the year before Delilah was reportedly born, the Duke of Tornemere spent a lot of time out at his country villa. Somewhere in there he got married. The woman was a good, proper Tornish lady, but the engagement was surprisingly short. There were rumors that Delilah was born out of wedlock, and that he married his wife to try to cover up the fact that his firstborn was a bastard. The funny thing is, there are no records of the Duke's wife getting pregnant that year. No doctor visits, no hospitals, and no one who admits to being present at the birth. One day they just came back from the villa and brought the baby with them. Now, maybe it's nothing but the usual shenanigans that nobles get up to everywhere. But before she married the Duke, his wife was a longtime member of the Hope Foundation. And as it happens, another member of the Hope Foundation was on sabbatical in Torn that year. The CEO, Lady Valena the goddess of love, truth, and beauty, Suspira's opposite number in the Pantheon. It's kind of funny, really. Between me and Delilah, I always thought I was the cuckoo. Who could have guessed that she was, too? It's been about nine months now since we said goodbye. I just checked my email and found a message from an address I don't recognize. Inside are photos of two beautiful women, each with a baby in her arms. The kids are both adorable, one with dark, wavy hair around her angelic face, the other with wispy blonde curls and a look like he's planning some mischief. There's no text in the message except the captions. Jeanette Isabel Moraine and Jonathan Vincent Depardieu. I wipe away tears, my heart swelling with pride. They both have their father's eyes.
And that's the end of our story, folks. I hope you enjoyed the cuckoo. Whatever your thoughts, I hope you'll share them for our feedback section. That's coming up later in the show. For now, let's get to the weekly writing report. I wrote 5,225 words this week, over the course of 5.5 hours, for a whopping average writing speed of 950 words per hour. As of Friday night, when I'm writing this script, I have gone 88 days without breaking my chain. This week I finished The Three Graces, my next story in the world of Metamore City. This one came out to roughly 30,000 words, which makes it a short novel, roughly twice the length of The Cuckoo and three times the length of Flying Free. The story is in the hands of my beta readers now, including Nobilis Reed, who created the main characters of this story for his own novella, Dreams of Change. If the story gets his blessing, then I'll be able to start sharing it with you next week. I also started work on a standalone science fiction story. This is a short piece called Last Sunset at the Golden Gate, and to anyone who has ever loved the San Francisco Bay Area, this one's for you. Finally, let's hear some feedback. Hello, Aetherius. This is Raj Chaos. I must say, episode three of The Cuckoo was so hot. Oh my goddess. So hot. Beyond that, to the person who is having problems listening to the Metamore City podcast on their iPhone, I use an iPhone 4. And uh, yours might be newer than that. I don't know. But I listen to everything through the uh, Safari browser. I go to the website, look up the episode I want, click the download link, and it automatically starts playing the MP3 in the browser. That has worked for me for a while, and lucky for me, I have unlimited data, otherwise I'd have to connect to a Wi-Fi network. But it works a lot better than iTunes. I really hate iTunes. I'm sorry, but I haven't used it for years. Anyway, continue the wonderful work on all of your writings, Mr. Lester. And, oh my god, it's the cuckoo. Uh, I can't even begin to tell you the feelings it brings up within me. Hi, Raj. I'm so glad you're enjoying the story. And thanks for that tip about the Safari browser. Hopefully that'll be helpful for Baldemar and any other iPhone users who are having trouble listening to past episodes of the show. To find the old episodes of the Metamore City podcast, just go to the heading labeled Past Episodes at metamorecity.com. You'll see listings of all the old shows ready for download. Hello, Chris. It is Sarah Testarossa. I am recording rather than calling from my car because as you, but probably not the rest of the listeners know, this is basically where I have the time to do this. So hopefully I will be clear and understandable now because what's the point otherwise? So parts two and three of the cuckoo, I haven't left commentary on yet, and I'm actually kind of glad that I'm doing them together because parts two and three really intertwined a lot for me more than one and two, say. I really liked how things are basically churning along as hoped, but 
not so much in terms of the mission itself. It's like, oh, like these things are going lovely and you know, John's getting to get energy and have sex with this lovely maid lady and he's getting to dance with Delilah and blah, blah, blah. Except that he's not really succeeding at his mission because she is probably not what they want. And I am very, very curious to find out what her deal is and why she's kind of got that something that makes them think she might be a good candidate for the Church of Hedonism, but that makes her something different. I'm very curious about this, so I'm looking forward to things getting unveiled. Isabel as a character, I was not so surprised when she kind of threw herself at John uh, at the end of part two. I thought it was kind of funny how Isabel started going to the Church of Hedonism and then stopped once she had been lovers with Delilah for a bit. I'm just wondering what kind of being is Delilah to have this sort of power. Hi, Sarah. Now we can answer that question. As John notes at the end of this episode, it appears that Delilah is a daughter of Elena herself, the goddess of love, truth, and beauty. That makes Delilah sort of John's opposite number in the Pantheon, but with a lot more power waiting to be tapped, if she can figure out how to use it. I wonder how Suspira will feel about John inadvertently helping her sister and rival to gain a powerful new agent for her ethos. And in case you're wondering, yes, that does mean that little Jonathan and Jeanette are something more than just an incipient incubus and succubus. What do you get when you mix the bloodlines of the goddess of love and the goddess of passion? I guess they'll find out in about 18 years. Assuming the world survives that long. I Oh, I really thought that it was funny how um, John was is pretty much falling in love, and it's just like, no, I couldn't be doing that. I'm a sex demon. I'm not a love demon. No, uh, <laughs> but it's, it is entertaining, and I'm definitely intrigued because, you know, it seems like he bit off more than he could chew, so I'm just kind of wondering what the heck's going to be happening. Well, now you know. I hope you like how it turned out. But uh, when this one's done, I'm definitely also looking forward to the three graces. I think it's really cool that you like the Grace family enough to write a novella with them. I don't know how much Nobilis talked to you about them, if they were his first or whatever. But, you know, they were first introduced in Dreams of Change. The Grace family was entirely Nobilis's creation although he consulted me about the background elements of the Vampire Syndicate and other aspects of the world that would affect them. The Three Graces is based on a few plot points that Nobilis established for background for Dreams of Change, which I then took and ran with. He and Mildred Cady are looking at the story now to make sure that I haven't broken anything, in the characters or in the universe. But anyway, that's enough rambling for me. Just keep it up. I think it's awesome you've been writing so much and that you've been recording so much and congrats on uh, being able to get enough donations to get new equipment. It happened so fast that I didn't even um, see the post until after you had gotten enough funds, which I think is really awesome and shows that you have definitely some supportive fans. So anyway, you take care. Bye. Thanks, Sarah. And thanks again to everyone who donated to the GoFundMe for the new audio recorder. If you didn't get a chance and would still like to support the show, or if you did and you want to keep supporting the show, I have good news. You can now become a backer for this show on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash author chris lester 
and you can help bring about new stories, new ebooks, new story illustrations, and all kinds of cool stuff. The link will be in the show notes. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, you can send your feedback in text or MP3 audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, call area code 641-715-3900 and enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash author Chris Lester and on Twitter as Ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. To converse with your fellow fans, join the Fans of Metamore City Facebook group or the discussion forums at metamorecity.freeforums.org. That's all for this week. Tune in next time for an all-new story fresh from the writing desk. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester signing out. The theme music for The Cuckoo is Last Tango in NYC by The Four Bags. It was made available for use through Mevios Music Alley, the Podsafe Music Network. To hear more of their music, please visit soundcloud.com or thefourbags.com. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2009 and 2015 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.